Hello and welcome to Science and Society podcast and in this second series we're doing all things about vaccines. It's with great pleasure today that I uh, am going to interview an expert in um, vaccine access and scaling up vaccine access and it's Professor Jan uh, Neshega who works in Pittsburgh in Johns Hopkins both in the USA and at Stellenbosch University in the global health departments. Now just to set the scene Jan we, we, we've got this um, coalition for epidemic preparedness and COVAX who are distributing uh, vaccines everywhere. They have a new innovative marketplace to accelerate the production and that trying to make sure that everything's operating at full capacity and making sure that vaccines are going to be distributed fairly and equitably. But, (laughs) and this is what I want to talk to you about uh, to start with, is many high-income countries have opted not to purchase their vaccines through COVAX and they've got priority access to abundant quantities of vaccine by striking advance agreements with the developers. I mean, it's incredible. 4% of Africa have been double vaccinated, yet elsewhere we're talking about having a third vaccine now. What's, what's the issue and what do you see about the problem with this? Yeah, thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity uh, to discuss those uh, issues, um, uh, Professor Posniak. Um, uh, first of all, let me uh, let me say the COVAX initiative is a laudable initiative. It's a commendable initiative. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, reminiscent of our, you know, the HIV/AIDS era uh, and the global funds and the PEFAR coming together to try to secure, uh, you know, antiretroviral access uh, in a low and middle-income country. So this is uh, kind of in parallel uh, the COVAX initiative, obviously. Uh, it, it, it's still falling short. Uh, and as you know, we, uh, you know, uh, there is a, a, a still a huge gap uh, uh, in access. Um, so, so that's it. Uh, I think uh, we need to continue to uh, promote uh, uh, this COVAX initiative. At the same time, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, we need to create some mechanisms um, and uh, this is underway from national and uh, global uh, uh, initiative to try to have, uh, you know, LMIC country try to manufacture uh, and try to uh, get those uh, vaccines to their own people. Um, uh, you know, you just learn, which is totally uh, unacceptable that South Africa is being producing uh, vaccine and uh, you know export it to the Europe uh, while their own people are not yet covered. Uh, so so some selected country can produce it and South Africa is on the top. Uh, next one is Rwanda and then Senegal are trying to gear to get it uh, manufactured locally. So I think that's the way to go. What do you think uh, about those uh, recent uh, developments? Yeah, I mean, I agree because, I mean, if you look at Africa, it's predicted in in, um, in the next 30 years that one in four people on the planet will be African, but they can't continue to import 99% of its vaccines. They have to make their own. And I think that's a fantastic initiative that they're going to start doing that. But I agree, the, um, 
the the external market should be the second market after the internal market for Africa. So uh, I'm encouraged that more countries are starting to produce it there. And I hope that other lower middle income countries will also uh, develop the capability. And perhaps, uh, uh, Jeanne, that we, we will see because of COVID, a complete change in the way that vaccines are going to be produced and distributed. C certainly, and uh, one uh, obviously one should not uh, forget uh, also to learn from lesson from other kind of uh, big vaccine uh, immunization uh, program uh, that uh, Africa has been kind of uh, leading, and most of other low and medium income countries in terms of the distribution and the scale up. Uh, you know, polio. I can just cite uh, one of them, but but uh, also in the context also of uh, the human infrastructure, not just the technical cap capability, but the human infrastructure. So learning from those other previous program, uh, and I'm thinking here, uh, again, I cannot uh, hesitate uh, or avoid to go back again to the HIV experience, the community uh, involvement, engagement, uh, uh, which include leadership, uh, community health worker, and um, uh, which include also all those aspects of uh, how you get people trained uh, to uh, distribute those, those vaccines. Uh, I mean, this is gonna be a key uh, because as, at the time we're talking now, uh, you know, there's still ongoing uh, uh, impact on the economy, impact on the social work, in term, impact on uh, uh, just the, the it, it's really uh, enormous. Uh, so I'm really worried that while uh, when Europe, while Europe and the country in the north uh, are getting controlling this uh, pandemic, uh, we we still kind of uh, struggling in Africa uh, for the next year or two, which uh, should should be unacceptable. Yeah, I suppose that what's got to happen now is there's going to be a big shift from the very successful pediatric children programs of vaccination into adults in Africa so that we you know a comprehensive coverage can can be achieved but I, I I'm just you know concerned uh, that um, that the only priority is going to be COVID and I hope that other vaccinations for adults like hepatitis B etc will also be something that will be taken on board by the global community. Um, let me just come back to your your um, thoughts about... Um... Uh, I, Anton, thank, thank for mentioning this. I, I did miss that, uh, that kind of, of angle and I think it's interesting. So basically you're saying uh, the way we try to be innovative with COVID should help us improve also uh, rollout and access on some other vaccine, uh, which uh, one on the list being uh, hepatitis. Uh, I, 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 I totally agree. And also, you know, uh, there was a setback uh, for the polio uh, in some selected country for polio coverage uh, for multiple reasons, including which we're going to talk about uh, acceptance and uh, and, and, and just uh, misinformation. So, so, so this is also we can try to to, to learn to try to improve, uh, you know, uh, access on some old but also new initiative of vaccine like hepatitis. So, I, I fully agree with you. Yeah. So now let me come back to COVID and about the vaccines that are being used. Now, 
we've had a lot of uh, Pfizer-BioNTech here as well as AstraZeneca. Now, the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech need this ultra-cold storage. So do you think they're a no-go for Africa and a lot of other lower middle-income countries where there's no possibility you can keep these things at minus 80? I don't don't think so. Uh, Overall, uh, that's a... Definitely, uh, it kind of uh, uh, the, it it makes sense that it's gonna be more challenging. But there is country that can be able to, to you know to manage that. Uh, I, I'm saying that some low middle kind of a middle income country like South Africa uh, can be able to um, uh, to 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 raise that challenge. But some other country is gonna be problematic. That's why I think uh, those countries have to have a, a panoply. Um, uh, of uh, uh, option, including uh, uh, I think the AstraZeneca is still the mostly uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know the necessity of a cold chain. Um, it does not depend much on it, but also um, I, I would say uh, it will be also uh, the Johnson and Johnson very attractive because just a one shot. Uh, it also a very attractive, but again. I, I, I try to really to stress that um, uh, the mRNA, they seem to have uh, uh, to be kind of for the Rolls Royce uh, or, you know, the mRNA vaccine in terms of uh, the, the efficacy. So there should not be also inequality in terms of which type of vaccine people are, uh, are accessing in Africa. I think all the options should be offered whenever possible uh, also in, in Africa. And where the challenge of cold chain can be met, uh, like in selected country, which have the infrastructure to do that, uh, it, should, it, should, it, should, it should be part of the list. What do you think? Well, no, I, I think that if there's any vaccine that you can get, then take it. And uh, yeah, even that, if the, I, I, I mean, if in those vaccines where you take two doses, I mean, it's great that Johnson and Johnson looks like a single dose, but in those that you take two, it, I, it appears from the data that as long as you can mix and match and you get good immunity. But, yeah. but for Africa, for rural places, for places that are hard to reach, what about two doses? I mean, is two doses impracticable or, or should we? Oh, really it's it's going to be challenging. Yeah. I, I would favor one dose in those places um, and because, as you know, uh, if people to return for a second dose, maybe you, you lose, you're losing people. So uh, definitely uh, depend on for the setting and uh, and the challenges. So one should take account of uh, what is more practical um, uh, and especially in terms of the, the storage also. Yeah, so so de- definitely. So, so I want to come to a point about who you're going to prioritize. So uh, I'm just talking about the experience from Europe and uh, and say the US where, well, it was more in Europe actually where we started to prioritize healthcare workers and the most vulnerable. So the elderly and people with underlying diseases. What do you think the situation about prioritization in Africa is? Uh, if, you know, um, is it different country by country or, or what's happening there? Because one of my points is that healthcare workers are very rare, right? They're, they're precious. And you can't take, if you take them out, you're going to have a real crisis. So, so that's, that's a good point. I, I think uh, the prioritization is a somewhat specific from, uh, from 
each country. But in overall, I think when I, I, I observe most of the, the move uh, of uh, accessing the first doses, uh, they, they tend to kind of follow the same kind of prioritization as the Western country in terms of the elderly and people's comorbidity, but also healthcare are part of that package because of uh, it's so critical to, to, to have them uh, uh, vaccinated. Uh, again, we, we can talk later, uh, surprising data showing that uh, uh, acceptance in healthcare work in Africa is almost less than 50%, which is totally under, not understandable. But anyway, so that's a, a separate issue to discuss later. But uh, yes, the prioritization tend to follow uh, basically the same as in Western country and healthcare workers are part of uh, the high priority group. But what I would like to, to, to highlight, uh, uh, Anton, is uh, uh, Africa is a youth population, mostly uh, almost, um, uh, so we, uh, I think we need to be a bit uh, uh, pragmatic in that, uh, not just uh, uh, following the same prioritization as a Western country, because of when you see most of the data, uh, more younger people are being uh, infected um, and uh, are actually dying. We have uh, data uh, showing that uh, uh, even the, in the pediatric, uh, the mortality rate uh, for pediatric COVID in Africa is higher than in the Western country. Uh, uh, so because of uh, the majority of youth population in, in, in Africa, I think uh, what depend of obviously uh, you know the amount of doses accessible. One should be a bit uh, more uh, open and flexible in terms of the prioritization and try to cover uh, the, the the youth uh, as soon as possible. Uh, and obviously, um, we 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 know that uh, if uh, the more people are covered. Uh, the more quicker we're gonna try to control uh, uh, this pandemic. Uh, but again, that's why I think uh, we, we should be very uh, flexible in terms of uh, that kind of uh, prioritization uh, list. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? About the, what you were saying about the children and maybe that's related to nutrition and, uh, and social status in terms of uh, poverty, et cetera. So, cause we've started to, think about in the West, uh, vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds, some countries have already done it. So yeah, so if you have a big youthful population uh, with high mobility in that group, I can see that the priorities may may be uh, rather different. Um, so what happens in countries that are, are dependent on one or two big economic um, uh, industries, for example, if if basically you're highly dependent on mining, right, for your for your uh, for your economy, would you then think that those countries are going to say, "Hey, all the miners, we're going to get them vaccinated because we can't have our economy collapsing through COVID"? Is there any move in that way in terms of prioritization? So that that's an uh, that's an important and interesting angle. I think um, uh, at the same uh, on the same theme of a uh, uh, specific population like uh, who are, you know, uh, a, who drive the economy. Mine are definitely uh, uh, part of them. I, I will also think, uh, you know, uh, other kind of uh, group to, to think of uh, is teacher. Uh, but again, this is a discussion also uh, uh, in elsewhere. 
But um, uh, when I, in Southern Africa, you know, country like South Africa, uh, with a huge mining uh, sector or some other country like Zambia and, and so on, uh, those, those countries, I did not hear discussing those as kind of priority group, but uh, I, I think uh, they may be in the second kind of tire uh, when it comes to where to, who to prioritize. Uh, because of the, the economic imperative. Uh, so, so for me, it makes sense. Uh, I, I was thinking, uh, we just discussed about the children. Um, I, I just forgot to mention that uh, basically, uh, as it's been shown in Europe and, and North America, mortality in children was uh, roughly less than 1%. But the, the data I just mentioned, uh, which will be published soon, uh, are showing uh, our data showing that uh, it's almost 10 times higher uh, uh, that mot mortality rate, uh, those who have been admitted in, in Africa. Mm. And as you mentioned, it, it may be some uh, other, you know, comorbid condition, including malnutrition and so on. But what we, we, we highlight most uh, tr intriguing is that uh, also the, the quality of pediatric, uh, uh, pediatric intensive care uh, and access to oxygen uh, it's it, it's part of a contributing factor for the high mortality. Uh, it just the, so that means the health system, uh, the the poor quality of health system to care of uh, pediatric, uh, to to provide intensive care for pediatric patient is, is part of it. Uh, and then the other group, as we're talking about specific group, um, uh, and I think this is also a high topic in in the West is uh, the pregnant women. We also have data from Africa, a multiple country showing uh, uh, retrospective uh, cohort data showing that uh, uh, pregnant are high risk of being admitted to ICU and uh, having mechanical ventilation uh, compared to um, uh, pregnant women who, who have no COVID. Uh, so this is also a group that should be prioritized for vaccine. Um, uh, and uh, maternal neonatal outcome are quite also defavorable uh, in terms of uh, uh, need for C-section, but also prematurity. So, so th those are, uh, I will tend to say, other specific population that uh, uh, should be uh, prioritized. We also have some data coming out to be published about those. Uh, so, so in addition, pediatric uh, for pregnant women. Yeah, I mean, the world yo-yoed over that, didn't it? It said, oh, be careful in pregnancy. We don't have the data. Then they saw that with COVID was had adverse effects. And now uh, people of uh, women of childbearing potential and pregnant women are encouraged. So so um, I, wa I, I wanted to end really in the last couple of minutes about something you really dangled in front of us, which was about this vaccine acceptance. And you mentioned this healthcare worker vaccine acceptance, because this this must have a massive impact on the, the vaccine rollout and, uh, and access if healthcare workers are not accepting the vaccine. Jean, can you illuminate a bit more about what's going on I, I, here? I, I, I am at, at lost here and I need some, also some Kind of for uh, I mean I thought this was uh, th this was a given a kind of for acceptance but I was shocked that uh, you know data collected uh, in in several countries not only in Democratic Republic of Congo but also in Cameroon uh, showing this I think uh, we you you having the same experience uh, in in the UK or in other country in Europe uh, obviously. Uh, 
the same kind of population, uh, healthcare worker are, you know, the part of the broader population of uh, denial people about the vaccine. Uh, so when you see countries like France, where uh, there, there is a move, uh, you know, to mandate vaccine to all healthcare worker. Uh, so I think uh, we may end up, uh, you know, uh, leader, leadership uh, in Africa may end up to consider also those kind of uh, mandates uh, because it's still just an accept. Uh, not, I'm not sure if unacceptable is the word. Uh, uh, I feel I feel really uneasy when I hear people saying my liberty. Um, but I thought your liberty starts uh, stop when uh, you know the liberty of the other person uh, is being threatened, uh, and here the health of the other person is being threatened. It, this does not make sense. Why people are not uh, comprehend that uh, COVID is a is a public health threat. And uh, if you have COVID, uh, you, it, it represents a threat to, to the other. Uh, so this is, uh, and if a healthcare worker is not able to comprehend that, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still at loss here. And uh, I'm not sure uh, how to comprehend that um, uh, people are, are arguing about uh, personal liberty uh trying to bargain it with um, the you know uh the health of others uh no i'm in full agreement with you that um that this is a utilitarian approach we need now i mean um this individual um rights actually you have to look at them in the broad context of everybody else as you said and we go back to what the ancient greeks said in medicine which is firstly do no harm and if you're doing harm by not being vaccinated because you can transmit it then then you're you know this is uh something that needs to be carefully looked at what i'd like to just uh, uh ask you is do you know if people are actually trying to research the reason why healthcare workers have these attitudes or or is this something that's very so that that that, that that is a follow-up that is ongoing study that also um we are conducting under afri health afri health is the organization that uh, uh follow up of the MEPI program and uh, we're gonna get some data try to understand uh you know uh, the motivation of some healthcare worker uh turning down the uh, vaccine uh, the, the good news is uh, the optimistic part is, uh, I think, as people, uh, there is a, a, as we we progress, uh, there is a time trend uh, in terms of that acceptance. It seems like the, the, the acceptance, uh, you know, uh, non-acceptance uh, is decreasing uh, over the last few months. Uh, and that may be due to... Uh, whether people have more time to understand uh, the utility, uh, that to see that uh, in overall the safety profile is okay, and that more vaccines are being uh, having the full FDA approval, it make more people, including healthcare workers, in confidence to accept the vaccine. But also, you know, uh, campaign education uh, and trying to debunk all the misinformation on social media may may start to have an impact. Uh, as we, we we show, but we're collecting data at on the African level, uh, and it will be interesting to contrast the result and whatever result uh, you have uh, from the UK or other place um, uh, in the West. Mm. 
Well, uh, with an optimistic note that things are on the upturn, uh, I'd like to thank you, Professor Jean Nechega, to talk, talking about scaling up vaccine access and some of the barriers to that. This has been Anton Posniak uh, with Science and Society podcast. Uh, so, Jean, thank you very much indeed for being on the programme. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, my, my pleasure. And thank you again for inviting me. And we look forward to um, talking to you again about all things vaccines in our next podcast. And from me, it's bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.